Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Tracy Hubbard. Thanks for being on the show, Tracy. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And Tracy is a real estate investor and syndicator, professional Forex trader and serial entrepreneur, uh, having owned and operated six companies across various industries. Because of Tracy's extensive experience in the global interest rate and currency markets, he brings a unique advantage in his understanding of how global interest rates can affect cap rates and financing rates, uh, giving giving him the edge to position his investors for the coming years. Uh, so great topic, Tracy. It's a pleasure to meet you and have you on the show. Uh, you know, Tracy's uh, daughter, Keely Hubbard, was on the show, the show number WS693. And we talked about uh, turning strangers into repeat investors. It was a great show. I would encourage you to go back uh, and listen to that show as well. Uh, but Tracy, welcome to the show. Uh, you know, I want to jump into to your background a little bit and help us understand a little bit better who you are. And and I, this topic is great and, and is so ideal for our listeners and people in this industry. But I feel like it's something we don't typically know a whole lot about. I understand that. And it's uh, it was foreign to me when I first started doing it. I started trading the markets back in uh, late 90s, 98, 99, and uh, started off trading commodities. And then uh, from there, moved over to uh, currencies in uh, 2002. It was uh, I went through 911 while as a trader of the market, so that uh, was a shaky event for me, and then moved over to uh, something I thought was more liquid, and that was the foreign currency market, which back then was a pretty much the wild wild west with not a whole lot of laws and rules to it. But I eventually uh, got good enough at trading that uh, people would come to me and want me to manage their money, so I sort of, you know. Um, went over into managing money aspect of it and been doing that for the last 15 years. And as I watched the uh, markets, you know, unfold in 2008, uh, when we had our market bubble and crash, uh, I still traded. But then that was the point probably where the Fed got the most involved in all the financial markets. And it just never really was quite the same after that. And as I saw more and more things in the uh, financial markets look a little bit uh, like a massive bubble rate to pop, but you know, nobody knows when it was harder and harder to get returns on uh, for my investors money because you got to understand when you're trading currencies, it's basically uh, the interest rates of their governing body, whatever country that is. You almost sort of think of it like their currency, whether it's the Euro, the pound, the yen, uh, that is like the stock for that country. So it's sort of a representation of that. Uh, now, in 2008 and 9, after the Fed got involved, everybody started rushing to the bottom of the interest rate. It's hard to make money uh, in the currencies if you don't have some sort of spread between the different banks, central banks. Well, everybody's been rushing to zero, and uh, Japan's been there for you know a couple of decades or more, and the U.S. has followed as has the euro. So as the market became less predictable for me, I said, I need to start moving into hard assets, and that really started happening in 2015. So I started, I shut down the hedge funds and started moving my own personal wealth into uh, the real estate, hard assets, and uh, specifically into multifamily is what I joined, is what I've moved into. So Nice. 
So I would love to, you know, dive in or for you to dive in a little bit on just how the global interest rates, you know, affect the cap rates and financing rates and things like that. It just helped, uh, you know, the listener and myself to have a better understanding of even things, you know, we should be looking at to, to know what to expect or what you look for. Right. So as the interest, central bank interest rates go down and the, and the, the usually the uh, financing rates for us as investors starts moving down with it, that creates demand because you can if you can buy real estate and finance it very, very cheaply, as we can do right now when we have the interest rates where they're at, that creates demand in the market. So as more people come into the market looking for returns, it creates more demand than usually there is supply of the real estate. So then you start having these, I don't want to call them bidding wars, but these people go in here and, and start, you know, offering a lot more because they want to get the deal. Well, that's driving the cap rates down, which of course drives the property price up. And so that's been the, what we've been going through for quite a, a few years now. Uh, and it makes it harder to get uh, deals that um, you can get good re, uh, returns for your investors. So you have to be a little bit, you know, more prudent in your underwriting so you don't uh, buy something uh, that's you don't, you don't overpay for it essentially. So that's what's sort of driven the cap rates down here to the levels we're at. Depending on where you're at, if it's a major market, then you're going to be looking at uh, you know cap rates down in the fours easily in Texas uh, where I'm at, and then California. You know it's really it's way down there, and a lot of California investors are running to Texas to invest because what because. 4% cap looks great to them when they're used to, you know, one and a half to two. So what does that do? Well, you get people driving up the price of the uh, apartments. Nice. You know, you mentioned, uh, I appreciate that explanation and really just laying it out there kind of simply because uh, rates go down, causes more demand than supply, then there's bidding wars, drives cap cap rates down, then prices go up. I mean, ultimately. Uh, and, and so you talked about having to be more prudent in your underwriting. Um, you know, what does that mean to you? I mean, you're, you're an operator as well. Uh, you know, so knowing what you know about all this and, and having to look at your underwriting potentially different than maybe you did five years ago, what does that look like? Well, I uh, put more contingencies in there and on our uh, underwriting, we also look at the refinancing part of the uh, syndication after we've held the uh, property for a few years where well, we got to, uh, you know, either refinance it or sell it. And so we put in a little bit of a buffer in there. Uh, we don't put really low cap rates in there on the refi and say in two or three years, we always bump that up a little bit because nobody really knows where the market's going. If they say they know where the market's going, they're uh, delusional because nobody does. And, and you can't predict where it's going to go. You know, it's, uh, but it is the old thing of, you know, a broken clock is right at least twice a day. So, you know, people will keep screaming along. If we're going to have a, we're going to have a crash, we're going to have whatever. Well, yeah, eventually they'll be right, but they'll usually call it wrong several times before they actually hit it by mistake. But we're in underwriting. We, we usually pop the uh, uh, cap rates up because you don't know. I mean, sure, they could go up. Uh, you don't want to paint a picture of, okay, yeah, they're going to keep going down. We're, you know, we're buying at a four or five cap, you know, and it's going to be in two, you know, two cap in three years. Well, yeah, then the underwriting will look good to the investor, but we all know it's a, just a spreadsheet. It's prediction. So we try to be a little bit more conservative from this perspective of cap rates going out on the refi. We put in a little bit more contingency money in there. Uh, just to be careful on the underwriting because you can, you know, you can make a spreadsheet, say whatever it wants to be, but you've got to be able to perform still. Something else we're doing is we're looking at uh, tertiary markets, uh, usually because those follow, you know, the bigger markets, you know, like the D uh, Dallas Fort Worth area, Houston, uh, Atlanta, you know, there's, there's lots of big markets out there 
but there's also smaller markets around them, like in Texas specifically. Um, you know, I look in the tertiary markets outside of the big metropolitan areas because those cap rates are going to lag behind the uh, major markets a little bit. And because of that, you can actually get a better return for your investor. Uh, if you're looking at those tertiary markets, a lot of people don't want to do it, though. And you've got to find the investors that are also comfortable with investing in those markets. Love that. Great advice. Uh, and, and so, you know, where do you get your information or, you know, like what are you reading on a daily basis or watching that's helping you to think about, you know, interest rates right now or what to expect in the future? Right. Well, I, uh, I do follow, uh, you know, the financial markets on TV because I've done it so long, it's hard for me to, you know, get out of it. So, because, uh, you know, it's, it's second nature to me. So I always check the financial markets in the morning. Uh, I track a few, you know, of my investments still uh, in the market, but it's long-term stuff. It's investing. It's not, quote, trading the markets. Uh, so I always watch the markets there. And you, you will have people come on uh, financial. And I'm not going to mention any financial networks uh, specifically, but they, because uh, some of them are just, you know, downright crazy. But I always watch those news to see what what's coming out there, because even though real estate is pretty much regional, you need to pay attention to what's going on in the bigger markets. And I'm talking about California, New York, uh, those kind of things to see where the big picture is. And, and that also is going to give you a hint as far as what's going to be happening, uh, you know, down the road, because it all rolls downhill. I mean, you'll read stuff about New York, how the, you know, the apartment rental is, is crashing up there and blah, blah, blah. Well, that is a regional thing. It doesn't mean it's happening here in Texas or Georgia or, or anywhere or Florida for that matter. So you've got to be keep a different perspective. Of, but it's good to know uh, what the bigger players are uh, are doing out there, because most of the big, big players in the apartment realm, uh, they're invested in multiple different markets because they also know that, you know, if one market's not doing well, then the other one could be doing pretty good. Nice. So, you know, you're, you're understanding, you know, just interest rates, you're thinking through that. And I'll tell you what, what about, how do you know what interest rates are? And even just something simple, I know you don't want to give out, you know, exact thing that you're watching or news media, but how do you know some of that information just so you can watch it on a daily basis? Well, the Fed rate is one thing and watch the Fed, Fed meetings when they come out, FOMC, you know, they have uh Financial markets have, you know, these usually weekly reports that go out there, everything from uh, unemployment numbers uh, to the Fed meeting when they have that in the Fed minutes, uh, you know, they'll come out. So I read all that stuff. You can get it from all different types of sources. Just Google it. I mean, you can find, you know, uh, multiple sources for that, watching the interest rates from the Fed. But then again, the Fed interest rate is not really what we're borrowing against. You know, it's going to have to be, you know, the mortgage broker that you use. And so stay in contact with them because they'll they'll see what the market's doing here locally versus regionally if they're financing uh, different properties all over the country. Uh, so keep in contact with them and they'll give you a better idea as far as what what the what you can really borrow it at. Now, it is going to reflect pretty much what the Fed's doing, because if the Fed's raising rates, guess what? The mortgage brokers are not going to be able to keep the rates down there. Also, it's just always follows the Fed eventually. So that's sort of the leading indicator, I'd say, the FOMC. Hmm. Uh, do you, uh, I mean, or does, uh, you know, rap, cap rates uh, compressing, uh, does that worry you? Uh, no, it doesn't because I already own some properties. <laughs> so guess what? They're going up in value because of that. So it's a natural uh, a natural thing to do. And the only thing I'd say concern me, you know, it's one of these things, well, you may need to wait. And like I say, it is regional, wait before you, you buy something. Now, as the markets have starting to compress, what I'm seeing, the interest rates compress, I'm seeing some 
you know, a lot of syndications out there are not being quite as, you know, um, aggressive on their returns for the investors because pretty much used to, you know, would be the 10% cash on cash, 100% return in five years, blah, blah, blah. That's the, you know, basic model that everybody tries to hit. Well, guess what? You know, if the uh, cap rates keeps going down, it's going to be harder and harder to get that. Uh, I'm seeing stuff now where people used to do a lot of uh, 8% pref and, uh, you know, the 70-30 split and the 10% uh, 10 cash on cash and 100% return. Well, now they're offering uh, maybe a 7% pref and it, maybe it's a six-year total return. Uh, I'm just doing one right now that we're looking at a six-year uh, six total return. And it's mainly to help get the uh, total return up to that over 100% for them. And you can't, it's very hard to do that at uh, five years now. Now, keep in mind, you can make the spreadsheet say whatever it wants to, but you've got to always, you've got to perform uh, once you go out there and, you know, raise your, your running. Now you've got to do something about it. So you better underwrite it realistically when you get there. So I'm starting to see that pull back a little bit. So it doesn't concern me. The cap rates are going down. You just at some point, the investors have to be educated on it and quit saying, OK, oh, I can still get this, uh, you know, where I used to at the five year turn. Now we may have to be six. And but keep in mind, what is that? That's just a projection. It doesn't mean and I've told a lot of my investors this because we say we're going to re, uh, refinance in two to three years, you know, and the exit strategy in six doesn't. That's not written in stone. That's a business plan. But you've got to be fluid. And you've got to uh, look at the market during the time you're doing this and see, is it is it the time to refinance? Maybe it's time to refinance in a year from now if the property is more stabilized. Uh, maybe at that year six, maybe that's not the time we want to sell. Maybe we want to do a refi again. So it's just a guideline. Uh, but you've got to, uh, you know, be in reality mode. And no one, like I said, I don't know what's going to be in the three, six years. But uh, we have a plan and there's always the backup plan. If that's not it, we'll, we'll regroup and uh, head on down the road. It's almost like you knew what my next question was going to be. You know, I, w I wanted to know your thoughts on the next, uh, you know, year, to, uh, you know, six months to a year, or just what you think is going to happen in the real estate market. Well, I think the market, I think you're going to still see cap rates compress a little bit more. Uh, and this is mainly to do because the feds pretty much telegraphed. They're not raising rates uh, over the next two years. I'd be shocked if they, I mean, they can't do it. They box themselves into a corner. Uh, and I, I don't want to go down the, uh, you know, the rabbit hole of the financial markets other than, you know, I don't, <laughs> it's sort of like a big Ponzi scheme, really, when you look at it, because there's, there's a lot of stuff out there in the financial world, in the, in the uh, stocks that are way overvalued. It makes no common sense when you look at, I mean, when you look at earnings and all that, kind of, it makes no sense of where these things, where this stuff's trading at. So uh, now people love the, you know, they love the, uh, you know, get in there. But once they pull the punch ball away, you know, it's everybody's going to take the exit at one little door. But you got 500 people to get out the door. Well, guess what? There's your your crash as far as when it starts happening. You'll notice uh, financial markets when they go up, they go up at a, you know, a nice little slope. If you were to pull a chart up here for, uh, say, the S&P 500 or, or the Dow, it goes up at a nice little, you know, nice angle. Call it 45 degrees. And so uh, when the markets go down, though, they drop like an elevator shaft. And, uh, you know, you can see that anywhere on a chart, if you just look at it and you got to go think about, OK, what causes this to happen? What makes markets go up? Well, demand, you know, makes markets go up. But what's really what's the driving factor behind it? Well, it's greed. I mean, it's it's the greed factor. Why we all make more money, more money. So that's what driving it up. Now, when the markets come down, what? 
makes the markets come down. And because they come down, if you look at a chart, they come down two to three times as fast as they went up. Well, what is driving that? It's an emo another emotion. It's not greed, but it's fear because everybody's saying, oh, my gosh, it's going away. And so everybody's trying to sell everything and it just drops like a rock. Well, if you look at those two emotions, uh, greed and fear, which one is a stronger emotion? Well, it's fear because, uh, you know, it's the fight or flight mode in the human. So that's what drives it down two or three times as fast as it goes up. And you can see this anywhere on any chart. And that will happen, you know, at some point. Uh, but sort of back to your original question. Sorry, I go down these trails when I, I start no, talking it's good information. financial markets. Um, like I said, I don't see the Fed doing anything uh, in the next two or three years as far as the market's going down. They're going to have to keep printing more and more money. Uh, if you really want to know something else, I feel, and this is uh, something I've been dealing with for a long time, uh, the Fed can print all they want to, but at some point in time, uh, you know, people will lose faith in the, the dollar, and it's the reserve currency of the world because it, that's, you know, that it is what it is, but it doesn't mean it always will be because they're going to have to, some point or later, they're going to have to figure out how can they stop, say, a run on a bank uh, when, when the market starts, starts crashing and people are getting nervous. Well, there's a really good way to do that. You just eliminate the fiat currency. Uh, the paper currency. Uh, and if you go to something like, I'm sure everybody's heard of the Bitcoin, right? So go to a digital currency and hey, and government's already floating it out there. At uh, My personal opinion, uh, I'm not a tinfoil hat guy, but you know, everybody knows Bitcoin. When was it created? Who did it? Blah, blah, blah. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't a trial balloon floated by a government to see how the public would accept a digital currency. The thing about a digital currency, it's not physical. You can't hold on to it. It's all online. It's, it is what it is. It's, it's, it's smoke and mirrors. Well, if the market starts to crash, they can create whatever they want to to keep propping it up. And if people get nervous and they want to pull all their money out of a bank, well, guess what? You can't pull all the digital currency out of anything and stuff it under your mattress. It's not, it's not possible. So that's, that concerns me a little bit. As far as, you know, what the market's like, I mean, if you if you think banks still carry a lot of cash, go down there and try to withdraw, say, one hundred thousand uh, dollars. And, you know, because you're a little concerned, you want to keep some cash. Around. I've done it and <laughs> go experience it for yourself. And you would think that, uh, you know, that you're trying to do a personal run on the bank. They don't keep that kind of cash down there. Number one. So it's the and by the way, guys, if you don't think you're already doing it and say, oh, I'll never fall for the digital. Current. Yes, you are. It's the same thing. You got the debit card. It's all a lot of it's already digital. It's online. So it's coming. So I would say just prepare yourself for it. And uh, that's back to what I said originally. Hard assets, real estate, best investment I can find. Right. Great advice. Now, I'm glad that you brought that up. It's something I know I've thought about a lot recently or you can see some things happening. It's something we've been conditioned for for a long time as well. Uh, you know, so uh, what about... Uh, preparing for that downturn any other ways other than say you know this electronic currency what about on just on the real estate on your multifamily properties how are you preparing uh for that potential uh, downturn or, or downturn that you mentioned like it's going to happen eventually right well uh we try to when we're looking at properties it's back to the same thing you still got to buy value and the down and when i say downturn uh it's going to be more in the financial markets. Now, the real estate market may take a little bit of a hit, but if you go back and look at the last market crash, uh, Class C properties did better, you know, pretty much from a, from a value standpoint than Class A's, you know, in some of the B properties. So, it, you know, maybe that's when you hold, 
you know, that's when you hold the property and you don't necessarily want to sell it. But, you, you know, you position yourself for some decent cash flow during that time. And maybe you hold through it a little bit. So, Tracy, uh, just uh, amazing information. Unfortunately, we're going to pivot to a few final questions. Uh, but uh, do you have a, a few daily habits that, that you're disciplined about that have helped you achieve success? Yeah, I do. I do something that's called vision mapping. Um, and it sounds a little crazy, maybe, but it, it's it's something that you write out um, on a daily basis. And everybody talks about goal. Here we are coming at the end of the year. Everybody's say, I'm going to make my goals for 2021. And they write them all down. They put them on a piece of paper and sooner or later they get shoved into a drawer somewhere and nothing really happens. So what you've got to do is figure out, okay, you have your big, your big plan. And uh, from there uh, you, you start diving down a little bit closer. I'll give you an example of uh, say a guy in high school or a girl in high schools are coming out and say, well, what do you, what do you want to be? You know, when you go out into the world and become an adult and they said, well, I want to be an attorney. I said, okay, so uh, that's a great goal. Let's talk about uh, what do you want to do when, be an attorney, what are you going to do? He goes, well, I'm going to go to law school. Okay, that makes sense. And before that, what are you going to do? Well, I, you know, I'll go to get my bachelor's and, you know, from there I'll apply. And then I said, what are you going to do that? Well, I guess I got to, you know, make make good, good grades in high school. Okay, what does that mean? And you keep digging down to, to what you come to is what are you going to do today? Today, what are you going to do to get to that big goal? If you take care of the daily thing you're going to take care of, guess what? The rest of it will start falling into place. But you have to have something that's attainable on a daily basis. And if that means I got to get up every morning and I've got to go jog or walk or whatever you're going to do to get help you set yourself for that day, you got to knock it out. And I'll I'll write down something on what am I doing today? Maybe it's underwriting a property. You know, hey, you want to be a a real estate syndicator, you know, millionaire. Well, that sounds great. What are you going to do today to get there? Maybe it's because I need to call X number of brokers. I need to set those meetings and get face to face with them so that they'll know who I am to come give me those pocket lists. So it all comes down to a daily thing. What are you going to do? And I would encourage you to, and it's called vision mapping because guess what? If you write it down and you read it, and I'm talking about seriously writing it down. Uh, when you write it down, it's, it's powerful. And, and it starts focusing on that daily goal. So you can, you can get that ultimate goal, the long-term goal. Love that consistency, right? All the the small steps, consistent small steps lead to big leaps. Um, but I, I feel like most people don't never write it down. They think they have a, a goal in mind, or you know, but they they don't write it down. Writing it down does something to you mentally, right? It helps you to commit uh, as well. As long as you don't just throw it in the drawer like you talked about. <laughs> but Tracy, what's your best source for meeting new investors right now? Uh, well, my daughter, Keely, <laughs> so, as you know, it's, it's sort of funny. I've had several companies, I've had partners, but I'll tell you the best partner you ever have for me anyway, is uh, my family and my kids. Uh, you know, from that standpoint, we've, you know, everybody has been burned at some point in time, either through a business deal or whatever. And that, so that can happen. So, uh, but I, you know, trust my family and my, my kids, uh, I call them kids they are all adults now. But I trust them with anything. And, uh, and my daughter feels the same way. She's been through a couple, you know, business deals that didn't turn out very good. And we sort of looked at each other and goes, I'll, you know, I always do business with my family, my dad or my daughter or whatever. And so, you know, the best way to do it is to raise up your partners. So <laughs> now I would not have said, you know, okay, Keely is my second. I've got four kids. I've got three daughters and a son. And I was looking at every, each one of them. They all have their own personalities, but, uh, Keely is my entrepreneur of the group. And, uh, um, she's a great partner to have, and she's got a skill sets that just I don't have, basically. And you know, 
And so that she helps really along the line when we talk about the, the money raise or whatever for a deal and going and getting investors. Uh, she's really, really great at that. So that helps me a lot. And I try to stay in my own little lane when I do that. You know, man's got to know his limitations. I think Clint would said that somewhere. So uh, that's what I do. I don't try to get into her, you know, area of expertise and she doesn't get into mine and, and it makes a great partnership. So nice. Yeah. Raise, raise up your, your business partners. Yes. <laughs> that's the best way to do it, but you better start soon. So what's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? Tenacity. And I would say reinventing myself. Uh, I'm a former Marine and uh, they, you know, they taught us, you just don't quit. There is no quit in us. And I've been down before guys. I'm telling you, I always, uh, you know, I had a bankruptcy in 98. So there I am at 42 years old with four young children I uh, guess I better figure out what I'm going to do now. And so I reinvent myself. I'm not afraid of trying something new, whether it's trading the markets. You know, I always I just try to reinvent myself and be uh, don't get so locked down that you just get, uh, you know, you can't you can't come out of it and have some uh, people around you to help bring you up. I mean, I've got a great family that uh, my wife has been behind me the whole way. And, you know, she helps support me in, in, in areas sometimes financially and also mainly emotionally to keep you because it's tough. If you don't have somebody there to help boost you up, because, hey, life can throw some things at you. But I would say reinventing myself into something else, uh, that's what I've done throughout my whole life. And how do you like to give back? Well, I find uh, charitable organizations that I really believe in, and uh, we try to support them uh, best way we can financially or maybe uh, through, you know, volunteer work or something like that. And I think one of the best ways to give back, and I've met several young people, you know, some of them are still in college wanting to get into real estate. And, uh, you know, they find me through maybe a, you know, a podcast show like yourself or someone else. And, uh, they've reached out to me before and, you know, I don't know them, but, uh, you know, I'll always, you know, give my time to them and sit down and buy them lunch and, uh, you know, help them because they want to know where do I start? How do I get there? And I said, you know, call me anytime. I'll be glad to help you. It's something that, uh, I didn't necessarily have when I was real young. I didn't have, because one thing, the internet's changed so much from when, uh, when I first started. So that is out there to be able to have a source uh, as a mentor. I think mentorship is huge. I've always, no matter what business I'm in, uh, I've always had a mentor involved in it because, hey, I don't know everything about every industry out there, but hey, I can find someone who does and then go and say, hey, would you help me along this to be a mentor mm -hmm. for me? So that's, uh, I think that's very important in giving back in that area. No doubt. Well, Tracy, I'm grateful to have met you and to have Keely on the show as well. And uh, I just appreciate you just really laying it out there in, in simple terms where we can all kind of understand today, just the relationship between the financial markets and interest rates, cap rates, you know, what that does to the prices of our real estate and things like that and helping us to just get a basic understanding there uh, so we can start to have a bigger and better understanding, you know, to know what to expect and what to watch. Uh, but so grateful to have met you. How can the listeners get in touch with you? and learn more about you? Uh, my email address is tracy at hubbardcapitalgroup.com. And um, my phone number, I'll give that out too. It's 817-291-5766. That's the only phone I have and I do answer it. So unless it says spam risk. <laughs> so, so that's the best way to get a hold of me. Awesome. That's a wrap, Tracy. Thank you so much. Thank you, Whitney. I appreciate it. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. 
I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.